Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Lightning fans, you found the right show for everything you need to know about your favorite team in the NHL. It's the Lightning Insider Podcast with Eric Erlinson. Get ready for insight, historical perspective, interviews, and breaking news that comes from a reporter insider who's got near 20 years on the Tampa Bay Lightning beat. Now for the latest with the Lightning, here's Eric. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the LightningInsider.com podcast. I am Eric Erlinson from Lightning Insider. Coming to you after Game 3 between the Tampa Bay Lightning and New York Islanders from Nassau Coliseum in Uniondale, New York. Tampa Bay squeaks out a 2-1 victory. They now have a 2-1 series lead against the New York Islanders with Game 4 coming on Saturday. Another 8 p.m. start back at Nassau Veterans Memorial Coliseum and... We're going to get into some of the reasons why Tampa Bay was successful once again in one of these low-scoring, tight-checking affairs that they've just seemed to get so much better at through the years. Uh, well, I guess, yeah, the years because it's dating back to last year, so that makes it two playoff years. Um, you know, something that uh, they have really, really – improved upon here going back to the postseason last year and I want to start first by making sure you're aware of a special promo we have going with our friends at Smack Apparel, smackapparel.com. If you use the code word BOLTS21, that's code word BOLTS21 at smackapparel.com, you will receive 21% off any order from there that includes those great back-to-boat shirts that they have as well as the Big Cat shirt uh, as well. But uh, the discount, the promo code is good for any order at smackapparel.com. So check them out and don't forget to use that code. Now, onto this game tonight, a lot of discussion heading into Game 3 about the crowd at Nassau Coliseum. And some of it's warranted. You know, this is the last year at Nassau Coliseum. They will open play at UBS Arena starting next year, which is about to be completed here very, very soon out at Belmont. I actually drove by it on the way into town on Wednesday. And you can see it's uh, it's coming along quite nicely. Uh, but this will be the last year at Nassau, the historic old building, the last of the intimate arenas in the NHL. You know, you think about the spectrum in Philadelphia and Chicago Stadium and some of the, you know, smaller venues from uh, days gone by. Um, of course, Nassau only seats about 16,000. Uh, most of the seats are full it's a it's a unique atmosphere i'll tell you that you know i'm sure it translates onto television for those of you that are watching the game 
Um, it, it does have a feel for a soccer match, if you will. And I'm a, as you know, a, a pretty good soccer fan. I, I love those atmospheres. I remember going to a World Cup game in 1994 uh, and, and getting that experience for the first time and understanding what the soccer vibe is all about. So it had some of that vibe going on with some of the chants and the drumming uh, and everything like that. Uh, I wouldn't say that the crowd was overly loud. I mean, they're loud. Don't get me wrong. At you know a couple of points, you could kind of really feel the energy of the crowd. But what makes it unique is the chants that go on. Some of them friendly, some of them not so friendly. Um, you know, so that was the atmosphere. And look, I I, I enjoyed that atmosphere. Uh, it's something that it, uh, they've just started doing at Nassau. It's not anything that you know. It's not like a tradition that they've had. You know, the last time I covered playoff games at Nassau Coliseum was back in 2004 because the series in 2016, of course, was played at Barclays Center. Uh, but you know, this the this was the f- so f- the first time for me getting a feel for this new environment. Uh, that the fans have created at Nassau. And I, look, I enjoyed it. I thought it was a lot of fun. Um, but it didn't affect Tampa Bay. You know, it doesn't affect uh, the road team. Again, it's a great atmosphere, but it's not as if it's something that uh, has been made out to be the fifth line, if you will, that the, uh, the I guess, all the talk about it coming into the series and what it – what it was like to go listen to a real crowd or, you know, whatever some of the narratives were that were out there. Uh, but I enjoyed it. The Lightning, they don't care. They don't care. That's what I'm saying. It's not an intimidating factor. I mean, you know, the the Islanders here, is, as much has been made about all this home supposed home ice advantage that the Islanders have, they've now lost game three on home ice in three consecutive series. So it's not like it's provided a huge boost for them. Now they have gone on to win games four and six on home ice against Pittsburgh in round one against Boston in round two, clinching both of those series on home ice. But the Lightning are a different breed. They're a different type of opponent for the Islanders to have to face here. And what I find... Uh, interesting about this team is the way that they now go about their business on the road. This is a major sign of a maturity and a big reason for the success of this team over the last two postseasons is their ability to win games in, in environments such as this. And remember, they hadn't played in front of these type of crowds in more than a year. Right? Of course, the bubble all last year was played with nobody in the stands. For a good portion of this season, you either had nobody in the stands or no more than five 5,000 during the regular season. You saw an uptick in the postseason. The Panthers started with a capacity of around 9,500 to 10,000. That uh, number was increased to 15,000 for Game 5, although there were only 11,000 announced in the building in Carolina, it started with 12. It was up to 15,000. Uh, and then, of course, here at Nassau, the again, it doesn't hold that much. And they're not at uh, 
capacity, but they they did announce 12,978, so just under 13,000 fans in the building. Um, But this team is just, they just block it out. I think John Cooper used the best phrase that it's just background noise to them. You're going out to play a game. The, The ice surface is the same. The dimensions are the same. Nothing changes. And this team in particular has really figured out how to thrive in this environment. And in, and what's weird about that or what maybe doesn't make a ton of sense about why it's it's the case is it, it didn't necessarily used to be that way prior to last season. And then last season, of course, you know, they went 9-1 and one on the quote-unquote road in the bubble. So as the designated road team, they were 9-1. and one. But that was without fans in the stands. So there was no quote-unquote home ice advantage. You had last change advantage as the designated home team in the bubble last year. And that still holds true, obviously, for this postseason. But what's remarkable about how Tampa Bay has played on the road in this, this playoffs is, okay, game one against Florida was that wacky, wild, back-and-forth affair. You know, Tampa Bay ended up winning 5-4 and a last-minute goal by Braden Point. Uh, But ever since then, they've been just absolutely rock-solid in their approach on the road. They win game two of the series against Florida by a score of 3-1, but it was really a 2-1 game because of the empty net goal by Yanni Gord. You know, and they go back to Florida for game five, and it's a 4-1 loss, forced to game six that they won um, two nights later to advance to the second round. But ever since then, they have allowed a total of three goals in the past four road games, obviously winning all four of those, the three games in Carolina in round two, and then game three here against the Islanders, uh, in a 2-1 victory. And in total, if you if you look at their six or their past five road wins, they've only allowed four goals in their past five road wins. Four goals and five road wins. You know how many games you're liable to win in the playoffs if you're only allowing a goal? or in a couple of cases, zero goals, you're, you're going to give yourself a pretty good chance to win some games. And again, you, you take this back to last season when there were no fans in the stands to now major fans in the stands. But that I think that just goes to show the mental maturity from this team that they're not going to be affected. And they, they've played it, and some of this just comes through experience as well. Because they've played in hostile environments, if you will, quote-unquote hostile environments through the years in the playoffs. It's the first time they've done it in more than a year, more than two years, going back to 2019 postseason. But they just, they just have a different approach, a different understanding of what it takes to win. And I highlighted one of those type of plays that happened in the second period of game three when you're nursing a one-goal lead, protecting a one-goal lead. If you want to go check that out 
on my site at lightninginsider.com, I wrote about that as part of you know this whole road success situation. It's been it really has been remarkable. Of course, Andre Vasilevsky is a a major part of that, and this is a cool stat provided by the league's PR department. Andre Vasilevsky has a streak of four consecutive games, road games, of allowing one or fewer goals in a game. It's tied for the third longest such streak in a single postseason by a, by a goaltender. The other players to have done it four times are Patrick Laleem with Ottawa in 2002, Evgeny Nabokov with San Jose in 2004, and Tuka Rask with Boston in 2009. The record, NHL record, for most consecutive road games allowing one or fewer goal is five, and that's held by Marty Brodeur, who did it for New Jersey in 2000, and Johan Hedberg, who did it for Pittsburgh in 2001. So you can see it's not something that's been done a ton, and it's not something that's been done a ton recently with Rast the most recent, but before that you got to go all the way back to 2004, for the last time that a player had at least four consecutive games on the road, a, a goaltender of allowing one or fewer goals. And look, it never hurts to have 88 in the back. And he made a couple of really good saves. I and mean, Kyle Palmieri is going to have nightmares at the end of this series, assuming the Lightning go on to win it, of some of the it, um, opportunities that he has had that Andre Vasilevsky has just snatched, snatched from him. Did it again tonight. But this this record, this this run rather, of road success just comes from a simplistic approach. And they put on an absolute clinic in the third period. You know, it felt at times in watching them protect a one-goal lead in the third period that maybe they were defending too much. And you remember game three against the Panthers when they were defending. They tried to, you know, John Cooper used the phrase, they tried to defend their way to the end of the game. And that caught up with them. They actually ended up losing that game in overtime. It kind of had that feel at times. But but then you really kind of look at it and watch again. And you understand that they weren't sitting back. Again, you'd like for them to have some sustained zone time and, you know, maybe pin the Islanders back for a little bit. Uh, They didn't do that for the first 10 minutes of the third period. Not that they were in trouble in any way. But what they, they played, again, it's the simplistic and smart approach. You make the other team work for their ice. Don't give it to them. Make them work for it. So we saw a lot of dump and maybe you only send in one four checker. Maybe it's a chip and change. You get the puck in, you go change, you keep players fresh and rotating, which I think for the most part they did a really good job of doing in the third period. And it's just that understanding of what it takes to close these games out. Now, it doesn't always go your way. But when you play the right way, when you defend the right way, you're going to give yourself a better chance to be able to hold on to the lead. Because 
there really weren't a ton of situations in that third period where you felt, oh boy, here it comes. You can sense it. You can feel it. You just never got that, that, that feel that the Islanders were going to tie the game. They could have, but it wasn't like they were coming at Tampa Bay in waves. It wasn't as if they were zipping and moving the puck around and cycling it and, and everything else and wearing the lightning down. You know, the lightning kept pinching off plays, kept pinching off pucks down low, not allowing the Islanders to get set up. And I remember looking up one time during the six-on-five after uh, Semyon Varlamov was out of the net to try and give the extra attacker where the Islanders had five players well outside of the hash marks. That's just what the lighting did to them. And if you're going to sit out there, they're going to take their chances that you're not going to be able to score on. Don't be left out. Make sure you subscribe to the Lightning Insider on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere else where podcasts are found. Now, here again is Eric. So they closed out this game, I thought, in very clinical fashion. Again, impressive situation for this team. And we haven't even touched on Braden Point yet. You know, Yanni Gord had the opening goal on what was just a great set up by Blake Coleman, who had an initial shot coming down the left wing side, was able to find the rebound, sort of juggle the puck to himself, and then swat a backhand towards the crease that hits the skate of Andy Green and goes right to Yanni Gord, who pops in the, the goal for his first goal since game four against Florida in round one. So you want to talk about finding a way to take the crowd out of the building. They did that with that goal. Not that the Islanders fans were silenced, but you kind of take some of the wind out of them. But it was the Brayton Point goal because it happens, you know, the, the, it, in a three-minute span in the second period, it, it was one of those wild swings in momentum or moments in games. Because while Tampa Bay was protecting that one-goal lead, Eric Chernak did make... I mean, it ends up being a mistake. He tried to, during a little bit of a scramble, pull a puck and try and allow Andre Vasilevsky to cover it up by kind of softly giving it to him. Vasilevsky was not able to get a good handle on it. And it ends up sticking free and poked in by Cal Clutterbuck and... All of a sudden, it's a tie game with just under three minutes to go in the period. So now now you, you can sense the building start to come alive a little bit again, start to get them involved. But once again, it just turned out to be background noise. Because the Lightning get a power play with a little over two minutes left. And I know this was brought up on the other side. Barry Trotz says it wasn't a penalty, but it is a penalty as Adam Pellick interfered with Nikita Kucherov. You can call it soft. You can call it a soft call. call. Maybe it shouldn't be called in the playoffs. But he, Pellick went out of his way to prohibit Nikita Kucherov from getting in on the forecheck. And I'd say the same thing if the roles are reversed. 
you know, you can argue the merits and the whole game management situation if, if, a, if a referee should call it. But it's penalty. And it, it gives Tampa Bay a power play opportunity. And as it turned out to be their only power play opportunity, only one call on both sides. Now what the, the go-ahead goal, what ended up being the winning goal, does not go down as a power play goal. It happened two seconds after Pellick exited the box. But you want to talk about momentum killer on the other side and a major buzz kill for the crowd at Nassau Coliseum when Braden Point, who's getting cross-checked by Casey Sezikis, as he's falling down, is able to throw the puck towards the net. It goes through the legs of an Islanders defender, through the five-hole of Varlamov, hits his back pad, ends up in the back of the net with 19.2 seconds left on the clock. So all that air, all that excitement that was starting to build up and potentially looking towards a 1-1 game going into the third period, lighting end up in front. And the goal for point is his sixth consecutive game with the goal. It's his 11th goal overall in the playoffs, but it's his sixth consecutive game with a play uh, with a goal, and it puts him into some pretty rare company because he's just one of 15 players in NHL history, postseason history, to have a goal-scoring streak of six or more games. Think about that. In NHL history... He is just the 15th different player to record a goal in six consecutive games. And there's some pretty impressive players on this list. Esatikinen, Mario Lemieux, who did it three times. Joe Sackick, Johnny Busick, Pat LaFontaine, Jean Bellevue, Reggie Leach. The last time a player had this type of a streak in the postseason is Marty Havlat for the Ottawa Senators back in 2006, who I believe scored in all five games against Tampa Bay in the opening round and then would have scored in game one of the second round. But he was the last player to do it all the way back in 2006. The last player to score in seven consecutive games you got to go all the way back to 1997 when Colorado's Claude Lemieux did it. And there are only eight players who have done that, scored in seven or more consecutive games in the postseason. So it's his 11th goal of the postseason. He led all scorers last year in goals in the playoffs. And again, you think about just how Important and how many key goals this guy has scored here, especially in the last two years, and he's just turned into a clutch player. He's averaging .57 goals per game in the playoffs. He has 33 career goals in 58 career postseason games. If you can kind of wrap your head around that a little bit. The only players with a higher per-game goal-scoring stretch with a minimum of 30 games played in the playoffs. Mario Lemieux is at 0.71. 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 Mario Lemieux is at 0.71.
Mike Bossy was at 0.66. Barry Peterson, 0.65. Rocket Richard, 0.62. Cam Neely, 0.61. Wayne Gretzky, 0.59. It's, it's an incredible pace that he's on. You know, and he only he didn't make his debut until 2018. His place postseason debut that was his second year in the league. Team didn't make the playoffs his rookie year, and in 2019 it was only four games that they played. So again, 33 goals in 58 career games for Braden Point. He's just the definition of clutch and coming up with such important goals for this team. It's his third game-winning goal of these playoffs. It's his sixth career game-winning goal. Had a few important ones last year. The five-overtime game against Columbus. The series clinching goal in overtime against Columbus. And then the game-winning goal in Game 6 of the Stanley Cup Final against the Dallas Stars. So you think some of the important goals that he scored as well. So road formula, road success, sends Tampa Bay into game four with a 2-1 series lead. Game four, again, will be on Saturday, 8 p.m. And, you know, you got to hold some caution here because the Islanders have been through this before. In each of their first two games, they split the two opening games on the road and lost game number three on home ice only to come back and win game four and then games five and game six as well in those series against Pittsburgh and Boston. But as I said, the Lightning are a different animal. They're a different team than both Pittsburgh and um, and Boston. They present a different type of situation because the Lightning are just as comfortable playing these low-scoring tight games as the Islanders are, you know, you got to remember in the Eastern Conference Finals last year, half the games were 2-1 games. Half of the six games were 2-1 finals. So it's no surprise that here we are three games into this series, and you've got a pair of 2-1 games. Islanders won game 1-2-1. Lightning win game 3-2-1. So what does that mean for Saturday. I think you have to expect more of the same. I think you have to expect that the Islanders are going to come out with a better push. The Islanders had a really good push in the second half of the second period. And their lone goal might have come on a sort of a broken play, but they were trending that way. They were trending towards a tying goal do end up getting it, but they pushed. Now you remember turning to Brian Burns at one point in the press box saying, boy, I was just about to say they have to escape and get out of this period and kill off these final three minutes of the period and try and get out of it with a one-goal lead. They end up getting the one-goal lead, not the manner in which I thought it was going to happen. But the Islanders are going to surge. And it's going to come in the first proverbial 10 minutes. So the Lightning are going to have to rely on their strong road record to date and find a way to once again take the crowd out of the, uh, out of the game. 
If you can get that first goal once again, you're going to quiet the crowd. And that goes a long way towards being able to put together another strong road effort. I would expect that the Lightning will play a little bit better and kind of resist those long stretches that the Islanders put together in Game 3 because they're capable of doing it and they have enough skill that they can beat you. So just come out with the same time. And, you know, look, I, I said it after Game 2 that the team, that the Lightning team we saw in Game 2 with their willingness to compete and battle for pucks was a big reason why they were able to win Game 2. That same compete level showed up once again in Game 3. You have to continue that. Interesting that there were only two penalties called in Game 3. I don't know if that trend is going to continue because there were a lot of calls that you could have said, eh, maybe that's a penalty that they let go, which is probably why Barry Trotz was upset that the Pellick penalty was called. But you have to, again, manage your emotions, play a simple road game, and treat everything as just background noise and just go out and play. Team is not practicing on Friday to rest up. They'll get back at it for the, a morning skate on Saturday and get themselves prepared to take on the Islanders once again. Kind of a key game to me. I, you know, like I saw a few people on Twitter, including uh, you know analysts, suggest that whoever won Game Three was going to go on to win the series, and that might hold true. Don't count out the Islanders, though. We know that they're capable of making pushes. Saw it in the first two rounds, but we also know that this Lightning team has been up two-one in their first two series and one game three. So it uh, should be uh, in store for another tight, low-scoring game once again. And again, the Lightning are probably just as comfortable doing that as the Islanders are, but they have more skill that they can take advantage of it. So, all right, as always, thanks everybody for listening to this. I'll be back with another recap after game number four. As always, rate, subscribe, and share this podcast. Let people know it's out there. Let your lightning fellow Lightning fans know that it's out there. Uh, don't forget um, you know, the, the code for smackapparel.com, Bolts21. Don't forget about my website, lightninginsider.com, if you're not already a subscriber. And, of course, I have the book, Lightning Strikes, the 2020 Commemorative Stanley Cup Edition, uh, have books in stock that I can personalize and send your way. Uh, just email me, eric at lightninginsider.com for those details on how you can get a hold of one of those books. And again, Game 4 between Tampa Bay and New York Islanders takes place on Saturday, another 8 p.m. puck drop on USA Network. I'll be back with another recap after then. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. 
Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. 